It was Good Friday, and he slipped into Ford's Theater and shot our president. And years, uh, weeks later, President Lincoln would be on display, you may recall, and the funeral procession would make its way to Springfield, Illinois, to Oak Ridge Cemetery to lay his body to rest. But Lincoln's body did not rest in peace. In fact, there was uh, grave robbers showed up about a decade plus later to steal his body, hold him for ransom to get their friend out of prison up in Chicago. It didn't work. Like most of those criminal stories, they're just not wise to be good uh, criminals. And so their plans were thwarted. There were rumors that his body wasn't even in the coffin. Years later, 11 years later, they actually dig him up again. They open his coffin. Yes, Abraham Lincoln is there. 14 years later, the rumors still happen. Is he in the tomb? Is he in his grave? They dig Abraham Lincoln up again, open his coffin. Yes, he's still there. Witnesses are testifying. Yes, that's Abraham Lincoln in the coffin. Years later, a final move comes. They bring Robert, his son, to town. Is this your dad? He's dug up again. They witness. They testify. Yes, that is Abraham Lincoln in his grave. Most estimates show, tell that Abraham Lincoln's body was moved 17 different times. His coffin was opened five different times to verify that he was indeed in that grave until finally, 36 years after he died, did he finally get placed to rest in a steel cage underneath two tons of concrete, 10 feet thick, And you may have visited his tomb. It looks something like this today. How many of you have rubbed the nose on the statue? Let's be honest. If you show of hands, rub the nose. Okay. And so you know what that's like. And so there were witnesses that verified that Abraham Lincoln was in his coffin. And there's also witnesses that we are here today to testify that there's another grave and there's another place and Jesus is empty the Jesus' tomb is empty, and those witnesses testify to that truth as well. And that's why we've gathered here today, isn't it? To witness and celebrate Jesus is alive, and that tomb is indeed empty. And so what I want to do in our time together is to walk through that witness account that was read for us earlier from Luke's gospel. And I just want to find there are four actions that the early witnesses encounter that they participate in, and I think they will help us today. The first action is the word prepare, and I found that they're repeated twice. There's, there's four pairs of these, and so I just want you to think about the word prepare. It starts in our text, Luke 23, verse 54. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. Preparation day in the Jewish calendar is Friday. It's the last day of their work week. And preparation day is the day where you run your errands, you finish your chores, you bake your bread, you get your food ready so that on Sabbath you can rest. Isn't it interesting that Jesus finished his work on preparation day and he breathed his last and he rested? And so Luke tells us that it's preparation day. It's the last day of the work week, and we're getting ready to place Jesus's body into the tomb, preparation day. 
And so the ladies are going to show up here. They say there in verse 55, the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph. Joseph of Arimathea is his name. He's from that, home, that town, and he's the one that owns the tomb. And they follow him, and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. So you got a group of ladies. You have the owner of the tomb. They witness Jesus being placed into that tomb. Some people, some critics say, well, the women just went to the wrong tomb. Well, how did this, large, this group of women, along with the owner of the tomb, verify this is the right tomb? And if it was the wrong tomb, couldn't you go find the right tomb? And so they saw where Jesus was placed. Verse 56, then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. One of those words is the word myrrh. You remember those gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus when he was a baby? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And they prepared those spices, but they rested on the day, on the Sabbath, in obedience to the commandment. I remember being in Jerusalem, and on Friday, during the daytime, it was hustle-bustle. It was busy, busy, busy. And you started seeing, the, as, as, as the sun was starting to set, you could see the headlights of the cars, and then all of a sudden, there were no more headlights. Everybody went home, and they rested. Verse 1, Luke 24, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away, but they did not enter it. They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So we have preparation day, we have Saturday, now we have Sunday morning, and the women prepared spices. And I'm not sure how expensive that was. I don't know what that process was like, but they made some preparations. It was somewhat just their normal everyday routine. Preparation day came every week. Friday came, and you'd do your chores, you'd get ready for your rest. People died all the time, so it wasn't uncommon for them to prepare the spices, and so they were just walking through their normal routines of daily life. But preparing for the ordinary can provide opportunities for the extraordinary. They can provide opportunities for amazing things that we don't have eyes to see. And so would you think about your preparations, just your normal routines of life? Could there be ways that you can look for Jesus more clearly? Most of us made preparations for today. Would you agree? Our music team came in Tuesday evening to prepare for this day. Our music team got up early this morning to prepare for this day. You may have picked out some special clothes for this day. You may have special things planned for this weekend, and you've made a menu, and you've made preparations for this weekend. In fact, we've got people right now preparing breakfast for you. We're making preparations all the time. In your preparations, could you have eyes to see what Jesus has for us to experience? As you go through your normal routines of life, I invite you to look for the amazing opportunities Jesus offers you every day. So that's our first. Think about preparations and just think about your normal week. What does that look like? And are there ways that you can start looking for Jesus in more clear ways? Just kind of being more attuned to that. So that's, you even follow me? So that's part one, prepare. The next word that's repeated twice is the word wonder. It's the word wonder, and it's in verse four. So these women, they show up and they are expecting to see the body. They're expecting to see that yolk and the egg, and it's, the tomb is empty. Verse 4, while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. 
This word for wonder is the idea of they're perplexed, they're confused, kind of scratching your head. You're like, we remember. And so the ladies are starting to talk to themselves. You know, Mary and, and Joanna are named later, and they're like, you know, Mary, wasn't this, wasn't this a tomb? Isn't this the right place? Weren't we here Friday afternoon? Isn't this the one that Joseph... Yeah, this is the right, this is the right place. Where's the body? And they're confused, perplexed. They're scratching their head. What's going on? This doesn't add up. You ever been there? Ever have some experience? You're like, I don't understand what's going on. Uh, a lot of times the teachers, they want to kind of draw into that confusion moment where the brains are trying to figure something out. We call it mental ambiguity. You're just trying to figure out what's going on. You're getting some new neural pathways that are forming to where you're trying to understand some things. So they're, they're trying to figure that out. They're perplexed been teaching my son how to drive lately. He's doing a good job. We went over to Jacksonville Monday night, and uh, we go around the, I said, let's just do a couple laps around the square. Let's practice some one-way, you know, traffic, and then we pull off to the side road, and I said, hey, park the car. He's like, where? I said, right there between those other two cars. We're going to practice parallel parking. <laughs> he did great. He did really good. I'm like, son, you did better than I did my first time. He did really good. And, uh, and then we tried it again, and he had a harder time because there were no cars to try and park around. It was just, you know. But you've been there. Parallel parking is kind of hard, isn't it? And you have those moments like, I can't figure this out. Or maybe it was trying to back a trailer or ride your bike, tie your shoes. There's just some things that are just confusing and scratching your head. And so the ladies are having one of those moments. This is confusing. We're not, making, not sure what this is all about. And so I want to ask you, I want to tell you that wondering about the risen Christ can lead to understanding. Wondering about the risen Christ leads to some understanding, but you've got to think. You've got to reflect. And so if you have questions, that's good. That means you're thinking. N.T. Wright asked the question, just how empty was the tomb on Easter Sunday morning? How empty was that tomb? And so part A of wondering is there's confusion, you're figuring this out, there's some perplexity here, I don't quite, this isn't adding up. So that's part A of wonder. But Luke also gives us a second word of wonder in verse 12. After the ladies go and report what they've found, one of the 11, one of the 12, but now there's down to 11, one of them, Peter, he wants to say, okay, I'm going to check this out. You go to verse 12, Luke 24. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. This is a different word from, from the confusion word. This is the word of Wow. This is true, I think. This is amazing. And so you go from some confusion to investigating some details, and you're like, whoa, this is pretty cool. This could be, uh, this, this could be true. And so I want you to think about, as we go through normal preparations, daily routines, thinking about Jesus, that there might be some unexpected opportunities come your way to where you're like, okay, I'm not quite figuring this out, to where if you go a step further and check things out, you might be wowed by Jesus. So preparation, we think about. Preparing for the ordinary provides unexpected opportunities. Wondering about the risen Christ leads to understanding. Our third word is remember. 
remember. Go back up to verse 4, Luke 24. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men clothed in gleaming, clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. I think these guys are angels. This is Luke's way of, of describing two guys, lightning clothes. The, verse 5, in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. Do you get the picture here? So these two guys show up, and you got to, almost like, you're going to need sunglasses for these guys' clothes, it sounds like. Again, remember, it's still, still darkish, you know, early in the, in the morning, so sunrise may not have completely taken effect yet. And so they're not just afraid of the light, but they recognize these guys are someone special. It says they get down, they bow on the ground. And so they're recognizing that these are divine figures or angels. And so they are on the ground, faces to the ground. But the men said to them, they asked him questions, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Remembering the words of Christ strengthens our faith. Remembering the words of Christ strengthens our faith. We're forgetful people. And we need to be reminded. And so these angels are like, what are you doing here? He's not here. He's risen. He told you he was going to do this. They're quoting some, some, some of Jesus' own words. If you go back to Luke 9, Luke chapter 9, verse 22, Jesus is going to say on a couple different occasions what's going to happen in Jerusalem. And in Luke 9, verse 22, Jesus says, The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law must be killed, on the third day be raised to life. He gives another edition of it down in verse 44 of the same chapter. Listen carefully about to what, what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And so these angel guys, they say, remember how he told you. The Son of Man must be delivered over the hands of sinners. We recounted that story Friday night. Michael preached that sermon. It's still up there on Facebook and YouTube to check it out. And so he said, Jesus said, I'm going to go to the hands of sinners be crucified, put nails in my hands and feet. On the third day, be raised again. So the angels tell the ladies the words of Jesus. And I love verse 8. Then they remembered his words. Remembering the words of Christ strengthens our faith. It's like the angels jogged their memories. Do you ever have somebody jog your memory? Where does that word come from? How do we, what, what does jogging have to do with memory at all? Have you ever thought about that? Do you go out for a run and like, oh, I remember things now. I don't know. I'm like, where does this come from? Jog your memory. And so I, I did some research, and according to my uh, research, jog, your memory, comes from the late Middle English word jag. J-A-G, jag, as in jagged or sharp or pointed or piercing, and so you could pierce your memory. It was sharp, but it's pointed. Like, oh, I get the point now. I think must be where the English gets that word. And so, could it be that the piercing of Christ 
can pierce our minds to remember his words. Jog your memory. Son of man must suffer many things, be killed on the third day, rise again. We need our memories jogged or jagged or pierced. That's why we celebrated just a few moments ago with a little piece of bread, a little drink of juice, and this table has, do this in remembrance of me. We need these remembers. We need these reminders. And that's why we've gathered here today, to remember the words of Christ, remember the work of Christ. Last Sunday afternoon, we were having ribs for lunch. It was a really good time. We had our leaders together. We were preparing for Michael's ordination, and we were just telling stories. And one way that you remember is just tell stories. And when you tell stories, you remember things you had forgotten. And so we were talking about when we were building this building and some fun things. This is one of my favorite pictures of this, of when we built the building. And so we're building this building, and we had the plywood on the rafters, and uh, my wife and I, uh, and there's Weston. Do you see Weston there? It's, he's, he's in Beth's tummy. Uh, we, most people didn't know he was in her tummy when she was up on that roof. Uh, so there's another story there, huh? Uh, and so there's Weston. And Beth was like, I remember when we were putting the black paper, the tar paper that goes on before the shingles. And she said, yeah, and Fred Patterson was up there with his little hammer stapler too. I had forgotten that he was up there. Mike and Greg's dad was up there. And he'd worked, you know, iron worker, and he was probably in his 70s at the time. And he was up there pounding away. And I just thought full of that memory. That just made me feel happy inside to remember faithful saints who had gone before us and just having that memory jogged. And the words of Christ, remembering the words of Christ can strengthen our faith. So on days where you're just not so sure, I just want you to remember you're not alone and that God is doing some really good things. And this story, I believe, is true. So the question I want to think about as we remember the words of Christ, what are some memory prompts that we can put into our daily routines? What are some scriptures or stories or pictures or videos or things that trigger our memories. You think about tasting something and it triggers a memory, doesn't it? Or hearing something or feeling something. I told my daughter last night when that cool breeze came through about five o'clock, I said, this feels like Colorado because we knew what that felt like and we have those memories to draw upon. There's sounds, there's conversations. I want us to think about what are some memory prompts that we need in our lives so that we remember the words of Jesus. So the ladies, they're just doing their preparation, normal preparation day, and they're anointing dead bodies like you normally do. Those were just normal things of life that you did. Preparing, opened up for an opportunity for something amazing. Then they're starting to wonder. This is kind of confusing, but then Peter investigates it. This is amazing. And then they remember, yeah, that's right. This is what Jesus said. The next step, the next pair of words is the word tell. Past tense, it's told in our text. Verse 9, 9, 10, and 11. When the women came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11. Judas is not with them. Luke will tell us what happens to Judas in Acts chapter 1. And so the 11 are there and all the others. Verse 10, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. 
But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. We've got two different words for telling here. The first one in verse 9 is the word report or announce. It's like when, when, the, when, you're, when the woman gets engaged and she brings the, the ring in and she announces it to a group of people. Or when you have the gender reveal, you announce it to a group of people. Or you get the scholarship or you get the promotion or maybe something bad happens and you report that to something happens. So this is like a report, an announcement Hey, we were just at the tomb. It's empty. These angel guys told us there's two witnesses, like the Old Testament said. And so this is true. That's one way to tell. You report, you announce. And the other one's just more of a expressing, just here's what's happening. This is really what occurred. The ladies are identified in verse 10. Isn't it nice that they're identified? It's similar to that same group from Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. This group of ladies is pretty special. It says that Jesus is traveling with the 12, verse 2, it says in Luke chapter 8, and some of the women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, those two are named in in Luke 24, and then we have another gal named Susanna, many others, so we've got a group of ladies, check this part out though, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. So either these ladies had some money, or they were good cooks, or both. And so these are the women who are providing for the the apostles as they're traveling throughout their ministry. And so these women say, hey, we saw saw the tomb, it's empty. And how do the men respond? You ladies are crazy, verse 11. It seemed like their words were like nonsense. Idol chatter. Now, I can go a lot of places here. i got to be careful. But these men are like saying, hey, ladies, you're acting like people that have fevers and they're crazy and they're sick. They're like, yeah, right, Jesus is alive. We don't believe that whatsoever. Now, if I'm those men and I want those ladies to keep cooking for me, I think I'd think twice about (laughs) double-checking what they'd say. But this is an honest account. And that's what I love about the Bible. Because if you're really trying to write this to where people really believe it, you're going to actually like have some, like Pilate and Herod came back to the tomb and they verified, that tomb is empty. No, you've got these ladies who, and they go back, and those who would have trusted them the most, you would think, are saying, no, we think you're crazy. So this is still an amazing story. And they tell them what they saw. So telling the message just overflows from our story. Telling the message overflows from our story. These men will eventually get it. And a few chapters later in Acts chapter 4, they're going to be in front of some leaders. And they say, we cannot stop telling about what we have seen and heard about Jesus. There's a, there's a teaching video on Right Now Media. If you don't have Right Now Media, or if it's been a while, I want you to check this one out. Uh, it caught my attention because it's the same title of our sermon series. It's called Journey with Jesus. It's Dr. Tony Evans, and he's walking through the Holy Land. It's really fun, 74 minutes. I watched the first 20 minutes of it. And in one of those sessions, uh, he says this in the only way that Tony Evans can say. He says, as Christians, we wear his name. We bear his name and we share his name. That's what Christians do. And so I want to encourage you to check that video out. But as followers of Jesus, that's what we do. We wear his name, we bear his name, carry your cross, and we share his name.
Tom Wright writes this about Easter. The heaven bows down with wounded hands. Our exiled God, our Lord of shame, before us, living, breathing, stands. The word is near and calls our name, new knowing for the doubting mind. New seeing out of blindness grows. New trusting may the skeptic find. New hope through which faith now knows. It's the message of Easter. And my friends, the words of Christ prepare our next steps of witness. Where are we going to take this message from today? Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for your unfailing love. Thank you for the victory of the empty tomb, for the mission that you give to us, and the testimony. We ask for your help. We pray uh, that you'd give us opportunities to share this message with a friend, a family member, neighbor, loved one. Lord, for those who are here today who are discouraged and just need some strength, I pray they'll find it here in the empty tomb. Jesus, you are good, and you're near, and you are here. And we ask for your help. Amen. It was Good Friday, and the assassin snuck into Ford's Theater and shot our president, Abraham Lincoln, 1865. And after weeks of public display, his body was brought here to Springfield in that pro prolific funeral procession and laid in that temporary grave until they could erect a proper memorial for our president. But he really did not rest in peace for some time. In fact, a few years later, there was an attempt to steal his body. Do you remember this story? There were robbers, and they were going to uh, steal his body, Abraham Lincoln's body, and hold him as ransom so they could get one of their friends out of prison. That didn't work. But they did get his body up out of the grave, and I even opened his coffin. And there were years later where there were still rumors, is Abraham Lincoln still in his coffin? And they dug him up, and they opened his coffin, and they identified his body. There were witnesses. Years later, 14 years after that, the coffin was dug up once again after still are those rumors. Is his body still there? Each time witnesses testified, his body was still in his coffin, and that it was Abraham Lincoln. The final move brought his son Robert to confirm, is this your dad? They dug him up, opened his grave, opened his coffin, and... Robert said, yes, that is my father. Eventually, after about 17 times, according to some estimates, of his body being moved and five different times of opening his coffin, they finally laid him to rest in what we recognize as Lincoln's tomb, 36 years after he died. He was placed inside a steel cage, two tons of concrete, 10 feet deep, over a large slab, and his coffin is there today. And many of you, when you go to visit, have probably rubbed his bronze nose at that event, that place. Lincoln is still in his grave, and there are multiple witnesses that have attested to that. 
And we are gathered here in this room today for another grave that is empty. And there are witnesses that attest to that truth as well. And I want us to walk with those early witnesses and see what they did and find some examples and encouragement for us to follow Jesus today. Are you ready? We're going to get into Luke's gospel. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to Luke, the last few verses of chapter 23, the first few verses of chapter 24. And I want to look at four pairs of actions that these first witnesses did. I noticed that they're, they're just pairs of these words repeated throughout this story that I want to walk us through. The first word is prepare. Prepare. It starts in verse 54 of Luke 23. It was preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. Preparation day is Friday of, the holy, of, of their week. Every week had a preparation day in the Jewish calendar. Every Friday, this is the day you get your work done so that you can rest on Sabbath. Friday is the day you do your chores. It's when you bake your bread. It's when you cook your food so that when sundown comes, you can stop and rest. And it isn't amazing that the Son of God finished his work on a Friday preparation day and they rested in the tomb and so it's preparation day and they're finishing their chores the sabbath is about to begin verse 55 the women who had come with jesus from galilee followed joseph this is joseph of arimathea that's the town where he lives and he's the one who owns the tomb where jesus will be placed they followed joseph and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it that's an important detail because we have joseph and a handful of ladies witnessing this is where they buried jesus so when some people say well they just went to the wrong tomb are all these people going to go to the wrong tomb I think we've got enough witnesses to say this is where he was buried, and they can confirm that. Verse 56, then they went home and, here's our word again, prepared spices and perfume. One of those words for spices and perfume is the word myrrh. Do you remember those three gifts that the wise men left Jesus when he was a baby? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And here at his death, these ladies are preparing spices to prepare for his body. And then they rested on the Sabbath in accordance, in obedience to the commandment. They prepared. Verse 1, next chapter, 24 of Luke's gospel. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but they, when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So as we think about this word prepare, I want us to think about this concept. Preparing for the ordinary provides opportunities for, unex, provides for unexpected opportunities. Or provi, pre, preparing for the ordinary prepares us for the extraordinary. They were just going through their ritual days, their everyday routines. Friday came every week, you baked your bread, you did your chores, and then you rested. It was a normal rhythm for their week. And people died all the time. I mean, it's not that you know, un unusual. And so they would normally go through that ritual custom of getting the body ready. So those were just normal everyday activities. And when they were going through their normal everyday activities, something amazing happened. So I want us to think about the preparations that we make every day. I mean, we prepared for this moment, didn't we? 
I mean, you chose what, cl- what clothes you were going to wear. It's Easter Sunday. You say, should we dress up or not? Then you decided, you know, you've made preparations for this weekend. Are we going to have a gathering? Are we going to have a meal? What's on the menu? You made preparations for this weekend. We made preparations. Our music team came in Tuesday night like they do each week to prepare for this moment. Our crew made breakfast for several people this morning. They made preparations. And so in our weekly, daily preparations, can I invite you to look for Jesus? Because they're just going through their normal preparation, doing their daily things, and they found something amazing. Preparing for the ordinary provides unexpected opportunities. Here's what I want you to think about. As you go through your normal routines of life, I invite you to look for amazing opportunities that Jesus offers you every single day. They're there if you have your eyes open for them. And you just have to have these eyes to see, ears to hear, and check out what Jesus is going to do for you and through you. So think about this word prepare. So just what, what are ways that you can prepare every day to look for Jesus? Our second word is the word wonder. The word wonder. We're going to pick it up in verse 4 and then again in verse 12. Luke 24, verse 4. While they were wondering about this, so they're going to say, okay, there's supposed to be a body here. And Mary and, and Joanna and some of the ladies like, we were at this tomb, right? This is Joseph's tomb. We were here Friday evening. Where's the body? And so this word for wonder is the word confusion, perplexed, kind of scratching your head, thinking we saw Jesus here a couple days ago. And dead bodies just don't walk out of here. What's going on? So there's some confusion there. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. So we've got this confusion. They're trying to figure out what is going on. They're perplexed. Uh, teachers, you know, they lead through this moment when they're teaching a lesson, and, and the, teacher, the kids kind of have this little look on their face like, I don't know what you're teaching me, teacher. I don't understand this lesson. So at some point, there are new pathways that are forming in our brains to learn some new information. And so there has to be this point where we call it mental ambiguity, where you're just trying to figure this out, trying to put these pieces together. Wondering does that. And so they're trying to say, this tomb wasn't supposed to be. Is it supposed to be empty? Where's Jesus? Who took him? What's going on? So they're trying to figure this out. Wondering, confusion, learning new things. My son's learning to drive, and we went driving Monday night. I said, let's go to Jacksonville. So he drove me to Jacksonville, and I said, let's go around the square. We're going to practice some one-way streets. Doing good, doing really good. And we, we peeled off of one of those one-way streets, and we're going. I said, park the car. He says, where? I said, between that car and this car. <laughs> Parallel parking, 101. Dad's teaching. And I tell you what, he did great. He did better than my first time par- parallel parking. But you're, you're, you're laughing for a reason because you know parallel parking is kind of hard and it's kind of difficult and it's kind of scary. And I said, just put your signal on and start backing up, buddy. And he did great, but that's part of figuring things out. You remember those difficult times trying to learn how to back a trailer? There are just times where you're perplexed and you're wondering, confused, you get frustrated, tying your shoes, riding your bike, learning that new skill. There's just times where you just try to figure things out. And those ladies that day were just trying to figure this out. Wonder, wondering, wondering 
Wondering about the risen Christ leads to understanding. So where you're preparing over here, just doing your thing, getting ready for everyday life, and Jesus shows up, that's part one. Preparing can lead you to unexpected opportunities. Wondering about the risen Christ can lead to some understanding. If you wonder and spend time enough to think, it's good as followers of Jesus to use our brains and think and reflect and meditate. Scripture talks a lot about that. Just to piece some of this together, then you might learn some things about who Jesus is. And so there's two words for wonder in our story, and the second one shows up in verse 12. In verse 12, it's after the ladies have told the, the, the 11 disciples, hey, Jesus is not in his tomb, and there's two guys in shiny clothes that have told us this as well. And so Peter, it says, Peter, however, got up, ran to the tomb, bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. He went away wondering to himself what had happened. It's interesting that this is a different word from perplex and confusion. This word wonder is where we get the word Wow. It's really not, but that's what it means. I mean, he's amazed, okay? It's the word, this is amazing. This is something special, and something is amazingly happening. And so Peter's trying to piece this together and say, this is pretty cool. So wondering about Jesus, having eyes to actually see, can wow us. And so the resurrection of Jesus, we've heard this before. It's a miracle, as Michael reminded us. Dead people don't walk out of graves every day. And N.T. Wright asked the question, just how empty was that grave on Easter Sunday morning? Wondering about Jesus can lead to understanding. And when we understand some things, we might remember some things. That's our third action. So we go from preparing to wondering to remembering. Again, we're going to pick it up in verse 4 of our text. Luke 24, verse 4. While they're wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. I think this is Luke's way to say these are angels. And here's what we're going to find out in, in the lady's response. Verse 5. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. So you have this picture. They're not only just bowing down. Their faces are to the ground. They recognize you guys are special. There's something godly here. And it says they're scared, which is typical when angels show up, they're scared. Most of the time, the angels, the first thing they say to people is, don't be afraid. This time, they ask a question. They're going to ask questions to the disciples in chapter 1 of Acts as well. And here's the question they ask. Why do you look for the living among the dead? They're like, Jesus is alive. What are you doing here in the graveyard? Well, because last time we were here, that's where he was. And now he's not. He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. And they're going to give this reminder. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, on the th and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. They're quoting the words of Jesus back to these ladies. It's the same words that Jesus said earlier in Luke chapter 9, verse 22. Luke 9, 22. Then he said to them all, Jesus said, uh, The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law. He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. He gives another edition of it in verse 44 of the same chapter. The Son of Man is going to be delivered in the hands of men. And so these 
gleaming angel, lightning-clothed guys, two of them, which Luke might be saying, you know, there's two witnesses that have to verify an event that makes it legit from the Old Testament. So we have two witnesses here. He's not here. He's alive. Remember his words. And they quote the words of Jesus. Remembering the words of Christ strengthens our faith. Remembering the words of Christ strengthens our faith. So we go from preparing, doing your thing, keep an eye out for Jesus, to thinking. We've got to kind of reflect on some of this, and some of this we're not going to figure out. That's okay. It's good to have questions. It means you're thinking. But at some point, it, hopefully, we can say, wow, Jesus, you are amazing. Then you start to remember and start putting things together. You're starting to piece some things together. And we need to have our memories jogged. Has it been a while since someone's jogged your memory? I was thinking about that phrase. Does my memory go for a run? What does that really mean, to jog your memory? Does, have you ever thought about what does it mean to jog? Let me jog your memory, boy. Okay? And you might mom saying that to your son. Okay? A reminder of something. Okay? What does it mean to jog, jog your I don't go running. And how does that help my memory? Okay? And so I checked some things out. The word jog, to jog your memory, from the late Middle English word jag. J-A-G, as in jagged, or sharp, or pointed, as in something piercing. So jag your memory, pierce it. Let me kind of point this out to you, might be where that comes from. Could it be that the piercing of Christ can pierce our minds to remember his words? And so sometimes we need our memories jogged. And the words of Jesus can remind us and can strengthen and pierce our hearts and strengthen our faith. What are some ways that we can jog our memories? One way is tell stories. Just tell some stories. You're going to do that today, I hope, at lunch. Just tell stories. We were had lunch last week. We had some ribs. They were really good. And we had some friends over. We were preparing for Michael's ordination, which I hope you can come on Friday, May 6th. It's a special moment where we're going to set aside him for the ministry of the gospel. Really good. So we were preparing. We were just telling stories of when we were building this place. And we are talking about hanging the rafters and decking the roof. And here's one of my favorite pictures. Uh, me, and, me and my wife, Beth. Uh, and Weston's there, too. Do you see him? He's in Beth's tummy. Nobody knew that he was in her tummy, or they probably wouldn't let her up on that roof that day. But she was up there, and uh, we were just volunteering and doing our part, and we were getting ready to roll out that black tar paper before they put the shingles on, you know what I'm talking about? And we had these cool hammer staplers. And Beth's like, yeah, I remember it was me and you, and Fred Patterson was up there. Mike's dad, Mike and Greg's dad was up there. And I'd forgotten that until that day. Until she jogged my memory, we were telling that story. And Fred was a faithful Christian man, iron worker, man's man, uh, in his 70s up on that roof, stapling down black paper. And then Stick reminded me at breakfast, he said, that Beth, she can outwork any man I've seen. Or something like that. He could work, she worked harder than any guy. So I was glad. But it's just, you think, you hear those things, but you tell one story leads to another, it leads to another. So the reason I say that is, what are some ways that we can jog our memories with the words of Jesus? We need to hear scriptures. 
We need to say them. We need to hear them. We need to sing them. We need to tell stories. We need pictures, videos. There's different senses that happen. We can take, taste food, and it'll take us back to certain memories. In fact, we had a little piece of bread and a little piece of a drink of juice to remember what Jesus has done for us. And we even have it etched on this table to remind us, because we've got we're, we're forgetful people. We need sights. We need sounds. We need conversations. So what are some ways that you can have memory prompts for you to remember the words of Christ that will ultimately strengthen your faith? So we're talking about preparing. Prepare for the ordinary, and you might just see something extraordinary. We need to wonder. We need to think and be wild. We need to remember the words of Christ. And then our fourth and final action we see from the ladies is we need to tell somebody. We need to tell somebody. It's in verse 9 of Luke 24. When they came back from the tomb, they, the ladies, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. There were 12. In chapter 1 of Acts, Luke's going to tell us what happens to Judas. So there's 11 and all the others. Verse 10, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others who told this to the apostles. So we have two words for tell. They're a little bit different. The first word is to announce, to report. It's like when ladies get that special diamond ring and they tell a group of people we're getting married. Or you get the, uh, the gender reveal and so you're going to tell uh, what you're going to have a baby, a boy or a girl. Or maybe it's I got the promotion, I got the scholarship, I got accepted. Or maybe it's something of, of a sad thing of, you know, it's cancer. But you, you tell some people, you, you report what has happened. And so this is group telling. And then the second one is just, you're just telling. You're just, you just can't hold it in. And so you're just talking. And Luke identifies these ladies. He's the same group, similar group from chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, where Luke talks about those ladies who followed Jesus in Galilee. It says, also with Jesus and the twelve were some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the mother, manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women, it says, were helping to support them out of their own means. So these were faithful ladies. They may have had some money because they're providing for those disciples because they left everything to follow Jesus around the countryside. I'm just wondering if they're cooking for them too. And so these are the ladies that are the first witnesses of this empty tomb. And it says that they told the apostles. Here's how the apostles respond in in chapter 24, verse 11. These guys did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Idle chatter. And so we have some male-female things going on here. They're saying this doesn't make sense. It sounds crazy to us. It's the, the word they use when you have a fever and you start talking funny. They're like, we think you're crazy. Dead people don't come out of graves. Now, if I'm the guys, I want to think twice about how I'm talking to those ladies who are cooking my meals. I'll be honest. I'm just like, you gals uh, are meal train. We're going to take good care of you. But they're like, you're crazy. That doesn't happen. Yeah, right. Jesus rose from the dead. And we're like, yeah, right. It did. He did. And so we need to tell the message of Christ because it overflows from our story. Telling the message of Christ overflows from our story. And not too long, those disciples will figure it out and say, yeah, Jesus is alive. And they're going to be in front of some rulers. And they're going to say, we can't stop talking about what we have seen and heard. So we just tell our story 
Tony Evans has a teaching on Right Now Media. And Right Now Media is a gift. We'd love to give that to you. You can text Berlin CC to the number 49775. It's Right Now Media. It's Christian Netflix video stuff. Uh, and his lesson, Tony Evans, he just walks you through the Holy Land. And he's at the different sites, and he's just teaching. It's really cool, uh, helpful. And it's called Journey with Jesus. It captured my attention because that's what we're calling this journey through Luke, Journey with Jesus. And he says, and only to- the way Tony Evans has that rhythm to his preaching style, we wear his name, we bear his name, and we share his name as followers of Jesus. So who are you going to tell what Jesus has done for you? Tom Wright tells about this in Easter. The heavens bow down. The heaven bows down with wounded hands, our exiled God, our Lord of shame. Before us, living, breathing, stands. The word is near and calls our name. New knowing for the doubting mind. New seeing out of blindness grows. New trusting may the skeptic find. New hope through wit through that which faith now knows. The message of Easter is that of hope, encouragement, and strength. As I look through these first few verses of chapter 24, the angels are right. He's not here. Jesus doesn't physically show up yet. And Luke's writing, he's like, Jesus is coming. And in the next account, there's going to be these two people walking up to the road to Emmaus, and and they're going to say, and Jesus walks up with them, but they, they were kept from recognizing him. But eventually, Luke's going to unveil Jesus, and he's going to be physical and body, and he's going to eat fish, and he's going to show up, and they're going to say, here's my hands, here's my feet. Jesus is there, but right now, he's not there physically. And in some ways, that's kind of where we live, isn't it? Because we would say, well, why couldn't Jesus just kind of like be right here with us physically so I could see him? Well, he'll come back, but in this moment, we have to trust he is alive, and we have the Holy Spirit with us. But the risen Jesus is still here, even though we cannot see him. And my friends, the words of Christ prepare our next steps for witness. So who will we share this good news with today? Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the victory of Easter. Lord, I pray that you'd help us in our daily preparations just to look for you. Help us to wonder and reflect and be wowed by your greatness. Help us to remember and not forget your words. And help us to simply tell our story to those who will hear. Lord, for those who are in this room, who are listening online, who are watching, I pray that in this moment, you would just make some things click for them. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. And we pray that we would experience your love, your grace, your mercy, your conviction. Restore families and marriages and and relationships. I pray for healing for those who who are sick. I pray for those who are just scared that you would give them strength because you're the king and you conquered sin and death and have established your kingdom. May we trust you more today than we did yesterday. Help us, King Jesus. Amen.